Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. What do I got a great guest for you today, uh, Carolyn Stern. Carolyn, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Oh, I you know, I'm looking forward to this. Our, our uh, pre-show workup there was, we already had some great conversations. So I'm really looking forward to this. But listeners, what I want you to know is Carolyn is author of The Emotionally Strong Leader. And I love that title. And that's a book that's going to provide the backdrop for a lot of our conversation today. Uh, she's also president and CEO of the EI Experience, an executive leadership development and emotional intelligence training firm. She is a certified emotional intelligence and leadership development expert, professional speaker, and university professor whose emotional intelligence courses and modules have been adopted by top universities in North America. She has also provided comprehensive training programs to business leaders across the continent and highly regarded corporations encompassing industries such as technology, finance, manufacturing, advertising, education, healthcare, government, and food service. Now, with that background, that experience across a bunch of different sectors, I am very excited to hear how you answer that first question I start off all of my guests with. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? To me, Earl, it means being committed to being an emotionally strong leader. And what is an emotionally strong leader? It's someone who knows how to be in the driver's seat of their feelings and understands how to lead with a strong mind and a kind heart. And so leading with a strong mind and a kind heart allows people to connect more authentically, communicate more effectively with their coworkers and teams. And when you have that kind of connection and communication, you're gonna create an environment of trust and belonging 
that will spur engagement, spike curiosity, and engender fraternity among team members. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> I, I think you just cracked like my top, easily my top three responses with that because. You know, my listeners know this, but, but one of my goals on here, being a Marine Corps veteran, is I, I want to really smash some of the myths uh, behind military leadership on this show. And one of the myths is that military leadership is all just screaming, yelling, spitting and snarling and people just jump to and do whatever you say. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't get that there is a lot of emotional intelligence. There's a lot of emotional leadership and military leadership. And I think your response just captured that much better than I ever could. So thank you for that. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. And second of all that I want to say is that I think that's the myth that we need to debunk so many leaders in emotionally driven fields like being a police officer or firemen or the army or the military so many people i think think that these people are just as you said very strong minded and have a cold heart but one of the reasons why i wrote the book and called it the emotionally strong leader is most people think the words emotional and strong are contradictory but to me it's the opposite you can be emotional which just means you feel things very deeply and have strong reactions but you can also learn to be strong and smarter and more intelligent than those um, feelings. And for me, I mean, the reason I wrote the book is for the good first part of my life, my emotions run amok in my life. They And I had a laundry list of um, bad consequences to my emotional outbursts. But just because I feel things deeply does not mean that I am weak. What made me, what caused me issues Earl, was that I was letting my emotions run me rather than me being in charge of my emotions. And so all emotional intelligence really means is being intelligent about your emotions. So what that means is, what am I feeling? What is that feeling telling me about me? And what triggered that feeling? What what were the things that that provoked that feeling and let's press pause for me to figure out what can I do about that in and make a conscious choice rather than letting one moment in time define me because I react impulsively or disrespectfully or unprofessionally. That's the key to success is being stronger than your emotions. But what I mean by that is not strong arming your feelings or having a steely resolve not to feel. It simply means that you work to acknowledge, understand, and accept that you all we all feel things and that you identify your feelings have an incredible wisdom and that you use that information that our emotions provide to guide your behaviors when confronted with an emotional trigger that, can tends, that tends to uh, drive hasty reactions or undisciplined behavior. That's the key to success. Oh, yeah. No, I, and again, I love that. It was, it reminds me of a story I've shared on here a few times. And, uh, you know, um, I, I never like to make assumptions. So I'll, I'll ask, are, are you familiar with uh, Colin Powell? Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Have you ever read his book, uh, It Worked for Me in Life and Leadership? I haven't read it, but I know of it. Okay. Well, he, he shares a, a story that I think falls in line 
with that in, in here. He talks about when he was a young lieutenant, um, he let his emotions run amok and he was like just lost it. He was screaming and yelling, the stereotypical military leader. Uh, he was screaming and yelling at a, at a subordinate. And, um, you know, one of his superiors walked by and witnessed this and they kind of let him do his thing because they didn't want to interrupt and make him look bad in front of uh, the person he was dressing down. But afterwards they came back in and they counseled him and, and, you know, they essentially said, you know, if I catch you doing that again, there will be a price to pay. And then it comes to his uh, review. They call it a fit rep. um, And in there was a line that said uh, that talked about his temper. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he took that to heart and made some adjustments. And then the next review comes up and in the same line, he reads uh, a comment that says, uh, young Lieutenant Powell still possesses a, a temper, but makes a concerted effort to control it. Mm. And uh, it was that piece that he like cut out and kept with him the rest of his life from Lieutenant all the way up to secretary uh, that, that he you know reminded him of who he was and that his emotions, you know, were there. And I, I often wonder if he hadn't have had that that leader in his life that would step in and kind of like help him understand, hey, you've got this emotional issue here that you you need to be aware of and, and you need to keep in check because it could run you off the rails here. You know, who knows if we would ever know who Colin Powell was, right? I love that story. And I think the whole point is we are being um emotional in the workplace is unprofessional but having emotions is not right and so i think the key for all of us is we are emotional creatures and we need to realize that you and i have a different emotional makeup and in the book what i talk about i talk about 15 different emotional intelligent competencies and i consider them almost like emotional muscles like almost like muscles that you work out at the gym some of those muscles are overutilized. You, you, you know, you, you don't need to work them out. They're already too big and maybe be, I might be getting in your way. Some of them are underutilized that you do need to do the exercises to enhance them and grow them. And some of them are just right. And it's really determining your emotional makeup. And one of the, the, the steps that I talk about in the book is you first need to to connect with yourself and figure out where am I, what am I good at? What am I not so good at? What needs my attention? And what, as I call in the book, am I on the dark side? Where am I too much of something that becomes one of my strengths becoming a liability? Let's take empathy, for instance, Earl. Empathy is a skill that many of us try to, to have in life, try to put ourselves in other people's shoes. But when you're too empathetic, you can get enmeshed in people's problems. You don't set good boundaries. You might um, wear their emotional burdens on your shoulders. You might not even as a leader push them to excel. You might coddle your employees because you're concerned about giving them too much. That's when empathy becomes a negative and and you need to sort of lower your empathy. You can have compassion and empathy and boundaries at the same time, but many people who are very empathetic, especially in the service industries, take, you know, nurses 
or, you know, anyone that's kind of being of service to people sometimes can take too much of people, you know, teachers, counselors can take too much of people's problems on and then their problems become your problems. And so the key is, is really figuring out of those 15 different emotional muscles that we all have inside of us, which one is, are you high in and which one are you uh, low in and which one are you on the dark side? Yeah. And I like that wording because as you were describing that, it, it reminded me of a, a uh, animation. So I think you, I want to say it was Dr. Brene Brown uh, that shared it out that showed the the empath going through their day. And as they were touching people, they they sucked a little bit of the darkness out of them until the end of the day. They were a complete cloud of darkness themselves. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So so that was the vision running through my head as you were sharing it because it's it's so true. Right. Um, and every single one of those competencies, Earl, you can be on the dark side. So take me, for instance, I have too much flexibility. Now, being flexible means I'm able to adapt well to the change, unfamiliar and um, the un, un, you know, uncertain times. But when I'm too flexible, I overaccommodate. So I put everyone else's needs sometimes above my own and I might be too understanding. And that, coupled with my low independence, which means I care too much about what people think, isn't a good combination. So once I know what, that's my um, Achilles heel, that's my leadership journey. I need to increase my independence, not care so much about what people think, and maybe at times be a bit more stringent and work and put my foot down and, and say, no, this is the decision and not all of you are going to like it, but it's the best decision for the business. And that's a hard thing for me to do. Now, for you, for instance, you might not have the same emotional makeup as I do. And so the very first thing that I tell all people who read this book, and although it's called The Emotionally Strong Leader, it's not about leading teams. It's about leading yourself, which is why the, the subtitle is called The Inside Out Journey to Transformational Leadership. It's really about taking you on a journey for you to come up with what what do I need to work on? What are my my areas that need attention? What am I already strong in? And then uh, what is getting me in my way of being my best self to being that transformational leader and how to lead my life in the best way I can and I can know. And once I figure out what those areas are for me, then I can do something about it. And that's what I get the the reader to do is I get them to first connect with themselves and then ask others. You know. You know, do you think I'm, I, I, I struggle with independence? Do you think I struggle with flexibility? And hear what others have to say, because our self-perception is inevitably flawed. The way we see ourselves isn't necessarily the way the world sees us. So once you kind of have your own self-perception of how you see yourself, and then maybe check in with five of your friends or advisors or, or bosses or colleagues and find out how they see you, maybe even your family, and then you get kind of the common themes. Do, do people see me the way I see myself? Then you can get clarity on what they, you need to work on. And your, um, your example with Powell and how his, that leader mentioned that he had a temper, maybe he never even realized he had a temper until someone actually pointed it out. So sometimes it takes an outsider to looking in um, and, and letting you know what they see, how you come across to them. Um, because we can have the greatest of intentions, but 
but how it lands for people, you know, our impact, our wake that we leave behind might not be at all the way we intended. Yeah, no, that that's valuable. That's, I was trying to remember, uh, there was a, the famous psychologist, but I can't remember their name right now that, that said there's, there's always three U's. There's the you, you think you are the you other people think you are and the you, you really are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, no, I love it. And, and again, as, as we were talking in the pre-show workup, I, I love that you start uh, with connect with yourself because I always talk about, you know, one of the places I start uh, is a realizing you're always on display, which is one of the things we kind of talk about there is, is uh, you know, what you're projecting, but also, uh, that introspection and improvement piece. And I like that you highlight that because people don't realize how easily we, we lie to ourselves. Um, and, and I was listening, it was funny, my wife and I, uh, earlier today, we were listening to a, uh, a, uh, a, a comic on, uh, Amazon prime, Nate Bargetsy. Uh, he, he's a, a clean comic. Um, but he was talking about the human brain and he's like, the human brain is so easily fooled. He goes, they tell you, he goes, one of the things they tell you is if you're having a bad day, he goes, smile and you will fool yourself into having a better day. It's like your brain's in on the process of fooling itself and you can still make it happen. It's like you, you think it would figure it out, right? <laughs> but- well, you know what? It's funny you say that. Just last week in my um, uh, emotional intelligence class at the university, um, my students had to teach the class how to increase their self-regard. So they made us all get up, the students, right? Made us all get up and strike a power pose like Wonder Woman. Yeah. And it was interesting. I just shared a post about this on social media. And um, as silly as I felt for the first few seconds, standing there in the middle of the classroom with all of the other students, you know, striking a power pose, after a while, I still did start to feel pretty powerful. <laughs> and um, I realized when I went away on the weekend and I was in a hat store, I would all, I come, I have the mental model that I don't look good in hats. And whenever I would put on a hat in a hat store, I would slump over, I wouldn't smile, um, and I never walked away with a hat. Well, this weekend, I was in a hat store and I thought, you know what, I'm going to strike a power pose and see how I feel in this hat. And not only did people around me in the store comment on how good I looked in the hat, is I bought two whole hats. Like I bought two hats. I walked out because I felt pretty good because I was standing pretty confidently and I was smiling back at myself in the mirror. And your body sometimes knows before your mind does. So there's a great quote by Frank Outlaw that says, watch your thoughts for they become words. Watch your words for they become actions. Watch your actions for they become habits. Watch your habits for they become character. And watch your character for it becomes your destiny. And what I loved about that is it all starts in our minds, right? That if we can start to change the dialogue, the mental models, right? For years, I thought I didn't look good in hats. But by just me changing my mental model and striking a different pose and looking at it different, I walked away not only with two hats. I since then, since I posted it online, I've gotten tons of compliments. <laughs> so you know, it just goes back to we can, you know, what we are we feeding our brains? And remember, emotions stem in the brain. Are we are we feeding the weeds or are we feeding the flowers? Right. 
Yeah. No, a hundred percent. You just nailed, like when I first started doing this show, um, I used to get people asking me all the time. It's like, Oh, you know, can I get a copy of that before it goes live? And, and, and I used to honor that, but I stopped because one of the things that I realized is kind of what you just said about the, almost the same thing with the hats. Nobody likes the sound of their voice. (laughs) I would send people the audio and be like, oh my God, I sound terrible. Can we re-record that? I'm like, you sound amazing. What is it that you don't like? like, Oh, my voice sounds like this. My voice sounds like that. Mm Re-recording is not going to change the way your voice sounds. Your voice sounds Mm -hmm. just fine. Your content Mm -hmm. is great. Everybody hates the way their voice sounds. You know, so I just had to like really tell people like, nobody likes the way they sound when they hear themselves speak. I don't know what that phenomenon is called, but it's just, it happened. Nobody likes the way they sound. Uh, but yeah, it, it, but it's just, I, I don't know. I, we, we, we like to, we like to fool ourselves and, and we always like to tell ourselves like the worst case stories. And, and I don't know why that is. It's like whenever we see somebody out in public, right. And, and, and I don't know if you have an answer for this. You know, I, I, I read a lot about psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I, I, I don't even pretend that I, I slept in the Holiday Inn Express last night when it comes to that stuff. But, you know, we're out in, in public, right? And we see two people having fun, laughing at something, right? We automatically assume they're laughing at us. Mm. You know, it's like, how do we, we, we got to stop that piece, right? Like, it's like, they're probably not, like, they probably don't even know that we're there, right? Yes. But, but we, we internalize well, we it. Our brains have, you know, are hardwired through evolution to focus on the negative, right? Like that's yeah. traced back to prehistoric days, um, you know, where we had to like find danger and right, because that'll increase our survival rate. So, yes. But I think the whole point is and why, you know, I wrote the book is even though we might have negative emotions, negative emotions and thoughts. Um, but negative emotions particularly provide you a gift because they are telling you something. So let's take, for instance, Earl, like two emotions that we feel probably several times throughout uh, the month, which is frustration and anger. Well, frustration and anger, my question to you or to the to listeners, you know, what's the difference? What causes frustration? What causes anger? When I asked that question to people, it's like, it's like they're a deer in headlights. They don't know what to say because they're like, oh, shoot, I know these emotions. I feel them all the time, but I don't know the actual difference. Well, the causal difference, right, is is uh, frustration stems from unmet expectations. Anger stems from an injustice or unfairness. And so I don't know about you, but how many of, of your listeners, me included, have been frustrated but shown it as anger? Yeah. And the problem is, in the workplace, if we're not brave enough to ask people how they're feeling, and I see you stomping down the hallway, and I assume that you are angry, but I am not brave enough to say, hey, Earl, how are you feeling? You know, the story I tell myself is you're, you're angry because you're stomping down the hallway. And you might then say to me, no, actually, I'm just, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. But... Psychologists call that attribution bias, right? I'm attributing anger to your behavior, but it actually has nothing to do 
with actually what you're feeling. What you're feeling is frustration. The challenge is many of us haven't spent the time to think about what are we feeling? What is that feeling telling us? So for instance, if you are not realizing if you're frustrated um, versus angry and you're just and you don't even recognize the difference, I won't know what kind of conscious choice I can make. So if my boss, for instance, gives me an unrealistic deadline and I just yell at my boss, well, the impact of that might be I might lose my job or I might be written up for insubordination. Right. But if I realize I'm just frustrated because I don't feel like I can meet their expectations, well, then maybe I can have a conversation with my boss. A highly emotional, intelligent response would be, hey, boss, I'm happy to do Project X by Friday. But, you know, that other project, Project Y, that'll have to wait till till next Friday. Are you OK with that? Now, your boss might not love your response, but he'll, he'll, he or she or they will respect the fact that you are setting a boundary and letting you know that you, know, that you are human and you, there's only 24 hours in the day and, and so many hours that you can work. So, so I think that the goal really is, what am I feeling? What triggered that feeling? Right? And, and, and then pause. Right? Before yeah. you act. And so that's why I always get my clients to take a sheet of paper and, and literally with four columns on one column, write emotion on the second column, write trigger on the third column, write response. And on the fourth column, write impact. Well, if I were to just pause and say, I'm angry because I got triggered by an unrealistic expectation, then what I can do is press pause and say, okay, what's a high EQ response? Well, a high EQ response would be, I'm going to negotiate a, a, a you know, a new timeline with my boss and see if I can move back another project. The impact of that response will be my boss might not like it, but they'll respect me. But a low EQ response, I could also write out and say, I want to yell and tell my boss, screw you. And my boss, the impact of that could be I could be written up and, and lose my job. Well, once I have both of those options written out, that gives me clarity. What do I need to do? What would make what what is a conscious choice that I can make? Do I choose option A, high EQ response, or do I choose option B, low EQ response? That provides me the wisdom to know what to do. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Um, and I think that is a great place. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. Uh, we've got to let some commercials run and, and help pay some bills here. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about that exercise. How's that sound? Perfect. Sounds great. All right, listeners, we are back from commercial break here talking with uh, Carolyn Stern about emotionally strong leadership. And uh, it's been a great conversation here so far. Um, and I like the, the exercise you're talking about before the break here about the four columns. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, cognitive behavior therapy and, and kind of like putting that into the columns there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I like that exercise because it, it does, I mean, it kind of helps you your first step connect with yourself because most people go through the day just reacting to their emotions and never really stopping to think about 
what is driving it. And I think your, your exercise really gets us to stop and think about, you know, why, why am I thinking this way? What are the consequences of my potential actions of taking, you know, it turns it almost into kind of a choose your own adventure kind of process, right? Absolutely. And I think that the key is, is really to know that your emotions cloud so much of what people see, right? They color it. So uh, in the book, I talk about an iceberg, right? People are a lot like an iceberg, just like what killed the Titanic, that unsinkable ship was not the little piece of ice above the water. It was the deep piece of ice below the water, the iceberg. Well, people are a lot like an iceberg. What you see is just the tip of it. All you see is my communications and actions, but you don't see what colors my communication and actions. And what colors it are your stressors, your personal history, your past experiences, your attitudes, your emotions, your thoughts, your beliefs, your intentions, your assumptions, your biases, your aspirations, your moods, your, your fears, your stressors, all of those cloud are, are and color our behaviors and communications. And what I talk about in the book is if we can start having those inner iceberg conversations at work. So if you're stomping down the hallway and I think the story I tell myself is Earl's angry, can I be brave enough to say, hey, Earl, I noticed that you're stomping down the hallway. How are you feeling? You know, what, you know, the assumption I'm making is that you're angry. Is this correct? Yeah. And then to have those deeper or, or and if you say, no, I'm actually not angry, I'm just frustrated. Well, tell me what is frustrating you. You know, what is driving that frustration? What causes you stress? What upsets you in the office? What motivates you? If I understood that as not only a leader, but a colleague, I could learn so much more about people and connect with them on such a deeper level. And when you have that kind of connection in the workplace, that's what drives engagement. Yeah. No, and, and you said something there that is so valuable. You know, I, I, I talk about mental health quite a bit on here because, you know, I have a lot of veteran listeners, not exclusively veterans, but I have a lot of veteran listeners that, you know, are doing their whole entrepreneur journey. But I get a lot of C-suite folks. And there's a lot of mental health issues uh, in the veteran community, but in, amongst C-suite executives as well. Uh, you know, and, and I see a therapist myself. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, she, she kind of described, used that same iceberg analogy with emotions. And, you know, she said the way she described it to me is, you know, a lot of people think anger is the most common emotion because it's the one that we see on display most often. You know, we see road rage. We see, you know, the, the whole Karen thing. We see anger everywhere. Uh, she goes, but that's really not, you know, it's usually you know, as you mentioned, there, there's fear, uh, there, there's some type of, you know, maybe there's, there's sadness, there's grief, there's all kinds of other emotions under that. It's just anger is at the tip and it's the easiest one to, to display. Um, it's almost never the emotion. It's just the surface emotion that gets put on display. And this is what I like about emotional intelligence, right? If you, if you have, uh, that 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 level of emotional intelligence and you can think about it and you can process it and you can be brave enough and vulnerable enough yourself to stop and ask those questions like Carolyn is talking about 
you know, then maybe you can help that person process and, and get to that deeper level of understanding of who they are and, and not just be even frustrated or angry, but get through and, and get to that level of, okay, what I'm really talking about here is grief or what I'm really talking about here is, you know, X emotion, right? Yes. And, and what I write in the book is research, research shows that anger can be used to mask other emotions that we don't want to deal with such as worry or loneliness or loss. And in such instances, anger actually becomes a secondary emotion. So again, it goes back to if we're not having those inner iceberg conversations, then we're not getting to the, the heart of the issue, right? The heart of the matter. And that's why we need to be brave. Not only that's why I start wrote the book, and this was this is my first book. I, I'm I'm on to book number two now. But this is all about looking at yourself. What do I need? Well, how does my emotional makeup hurt or help my life? So the moment I realize that I struggle with independence. That like, you know, like you, um, Earl, I had been in therapy for years and I would always talk to my therapist about the issue that what I was faced with the story, you know, the new story that was up, you know, the, the latest story of the month. But the problem was I was just talking about the story. I wasn't talking about the skills that I was lacking that was getting me in the predicaments I was. The moment I took an EQ assessment and realized how low my independence was, then I went, okay, where does this come from? So one of the things in the book that I get the the readers to do is to say, okay, why are you the way you are? Well, for me, why do I lack independence? Bless her heart, but I have a very overbearing mother. (laughs) And um, I now live with my mother since the pandemic. And I could write a book on how do you live with your overprotective mother at 52 years old but but um but that's a whole other story and you'll have to have me back on another podcast about that book but but seriously speaking you know growing up as much you know she loved me so much she tried to do everything for me um you know and the challenge is now as a 52 year old i now question my own judgments i need a lot of validation I care too much about what people think. And in fact, the Gen Zs, just so you know, the younger generation with the millennials who are going to make up 65% of our workforce by 2025, um, the younger generation are lower at independence, lower at problem solving, and lower at any um, uh, stre- lower at stress tolerance than any generation before them. Why? Because they grew up with helicopter parents like my mother and phones. And so when the pandemic first hit, I was in the media saying there was a silver lining to the pandemic. I'm not discrediting the lost lives, the lost jobs, the isolation that laid bare. But what the pandemic did do for this younger generation is taught them to be emotionally resilient because Google and their parents didn't know how to live through a pandemic. They had to figure that out themselves. And so for me, once I realized why I lacked independence. And again, that doesn't mean I can't be independent. It just means that's a weaker muscle for me. So what do I need to do? I need to do my independence exercises. So when I want to ask my partner a reassuring question, I stop and try to self-validate myself, right? To, to validate myself. 
Uh, when I want to, if I need people's approval or reassurance, I try to give that to myself. I try to be more self-directed. As easy as that sounds, it's not always easy. It's very difficult for me. But for some of your listeners who are very independent, they'd be like, well, that would be an easy exercise for me. And that's because they have a different emotional makeup. But if I asked you, you know, Earl, uh, Earl, you know, what do you struggle with? What gets in your way of being your best self? Maybe it's something that I would find fairly easy, but for you, you find it difficult. And what we need to realize is everyone is different and everyone is struggling with their own journey. And that's yeah. why this book is so important. Why I'm, I'm so, I'm very proud because, you know, I'm a first time author and I just won the Axum Business Award, which says I've got one of the best business books for 2022 in the leadership category. Uh, you know, I'm a nobody. I, 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 nobody knew who I was until I wrote this book. But the reason why I think this book is getting so much public and media acclaim is because I wrote a very timely book. People are very emotional, right? Since right. the pandemic happened, our emotions kind of erupted from the surface. And people didn't know how to deal with their emotions, let alone others in the workplace. And so I think what, what is happening is people are starting to realize the jig is up. Leaders yeah. need to be emotionally strong. They need to be brave to have these inner iceberg conversations in the workplace. Yes. No, and I think that is exactly it is, you know, and, and leaders, listeners, leaders, um, you need to get a copy of this book, The Emotionally Strong Leader. Uh, this is important. This is important to your personal leadership journey. This is important to your businesses. Uh, I know I have entrepreneurs on here who are solopreneurs, who have two big people working for them, who have 200 people working for them. The, the skills in this book, when we talk about burnout, when we talk about employee disengagement, when we talk about uh, silent quitting, we talk about rage uh, applying, when we talk about all the catchphrases and all that, this idea, the, the, the emotional intelligence, the emotionally strong leader principle is something that is going to help you, help your organizations. Uh, and you need a copy of this book. You know, I talk about quick reference books that you need to have within arm's reach so you can uh, reference them very easily. This is one that you need to add to that list. Uh, so grab a copy, have it on your bookshelf and uh, feel free to, to reference it and go through the exercises that are contained within there. Uh, that being said, Carolyn, I know, and sadly, because this has been a great conversation, but I know you have uh, a, a tight uh, time constraint today and you're going to need to go here in a couple minutes. Uh, I'm just curious, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to touch on that you want to leave listeners with before you get out of here today? I think if I could tell everyone one thing, which would be, don't be afraid of your emotions or those of others. Uh, feelings, you remember that song, feelings, nothing more <laughs> than feelings, right? Uh, I part, I, I'm a horrible singer, but you get the gist. But well, it's remember recorded that now. Song, right? Yeah, it's recorded now. Now, now I'm, I'm a recorded artist. Um, but feelings are just that. They're just feelings. They're not uh, right or wrong, good or bad. They're not always factual. They're incredibly personal, and sometimes it's hard to be an objective bystander of them, but they come and go like clouds, and they're fleeting, and they're subjective. And if we cannot be so afraid of our feelings and realize that our feelings provide us a gift, a gift of information, our feelings are telling us something about us, 
Then if we take the time to really understand what, you know, acknowledge that we have feelings, understand them, label them accurately, express them constructively, and then regulate and manage them appropriately, then we're going to be in a much better place. And, and you know, Earl, I really appreciate you, you acknowledging my book. I'm very proud of the work in this book. And, and like you said, half of the book is a workbook. It is a self-coaching model that I take people through because not everyone can afford to bring an emotional intelligence trainer into their organization or to bring me in and coach them. So I wanted to give everyone these tools because this changed my life personally and professionally. Personally, I lost 125 pounds from not eating about my feelings and not stuffing them down, but actually dealing with them and talking about them um, on, a, on a professional matter. Like you, you had said, some of your listeners are solopreneurs. I went from a sol being a solopreneur, and I hired people that had a different emotional makeup than I did. So some of my employees have much higher independence than me so that I can learn from them. It's not always me being the leader teaching them. They're also teaching me. Just like in my class, going back to that power pose story, my students taught me last week something. And so I think as leaders, we need to realize that regardless of what position we, we hold in the company, we are always students learning and we are always teachers teaching. And if we can teach people to not be afraid of their emotions or others, we've done a big service in the workplace. I love it. I love it. So people want to find out more about you, want to find out more about your services, want to grab a copy of the book. What's a good place to point them towards? So they can go on carolynstern.com, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Stern, S-T-E-R-N.com, or they can check out our EI experience, which is our uh, leadership development and emotional intelligence training firm where we offer training uh, services, workshops, uh, you know, assessments, retreats for corporations. They can go on eiexperience.com and they can find the book on both either of those websites carolynstern.com slash book or eiexperience.com slash book. Outstanding. And listeners, as always, those links will be in the show notes. So you're just a click away from those valuable resources. Uh, Carolyn, again, I love it. This has been a great conversation. I wish we had about four hours more to talk, <laughs> but I know you have other obligations. So let me just say thank you very much for doing the work you're doing, writing the book. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, being, being the resource for the people that you are, keep doing what you're doing. And just thank you for being an outstanding guest today on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And you know what, Earl, invite me back because there's so much more to, to talk about. I'd, happy, I'd be happy to come back and continue our conversation. Absolutely. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that... I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.